Two weeks ago, we started the book of Philippians, and the context of that book was very intriguing, and that's in part why we are going through the prison letters in our daily devotionals, and why we're going to be doing that in here, because Paul's in prison, and if we're honest, like there's a relatability there of just we are in a world that's locked down, and we're told to stay home, and I saw another you know, ad on TV yesterday where it just says, stay home. And so it's this, whoa, like that's kind of where Paul's at. He was on a, a uh, house arrest, and I know we're not arrested, but I know many of us have felt like, wow, it's just a different world right now, and, and there's, there's things that have been taken away and a lockdown that's taken place that's just weird and, and foreign and frustrating. And so that's where this parallel with Paul comes in, just from the relatability of, what was, his, what was the fruit that was being squeezed out of him while he was in prison? And it's just wildly encouraging to see him thriving with hope, with joy, with peace, genuinely in the midst of a situation that is far worse than anything we're facing. And so that's where this genuine testimony of this man of God I find very encouraging. And so we're, we're going to be digging into this letter and continuing on in some of the other prison letters just to see the kind of life that's possible in Christ when we just devote everything we have to following him. That's what Paul clearly did. He's willing to die for Christ. So there's really no higher devotion, as he said in chapter 1, to live as Christ, to die as gain. In fact, it's far better for me to depart and be with Christ. But I'll stay here for your sake if that's what the Lord has for me. It's like, wow. So I read these letters as genuine testimony, like if one of you were to write it, or if I were to write to you. I mean, this is just a person. He's just a human. He's just a, a broken man on his own strength who's messed up a lot of things, and yet he's following Jesus, and he's seeing a transformation take place, and that's all of our hope, that the same Jesus who was alive in Paul 2,000 years ago is alive and desiring to be alive in us right now today. And so we can bear the same type of beautiful fruit. So let's look to Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's a safe or a safeguard for you. So this is an interesting indicator. Pause real quick. He's written to them before. So this is actually the second Philippians. So first Philippians is somewhere lost in the Mediterranean Sea. But he's written to them before about this theme of joy. But I like what he says. He's like, I'm not getting tired of this. That reminds me of, uh, as a parent. You know, like, Dad, you're lecturing us again. Hey, I'll, I got plenty where this is coming from. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll say this a thousand times if we need to. In fact, until you get it, I'm going to keep saying it. You want this to stop? Then listen to me. Paul's like, hey, I've said this before, but I'm saying it again, and it's for your safety. It's for your good. I'm going to talk about joy, the life of joy in God. He goes on to say, Look out for the dogs, those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Pause real quick, a little bit of context. So there was a group growing 
in the Philippian church that said you had to be circumcised Old Testament, Old Covenant style in order to be saved. So if you were a Gentile, you had to be circumcised, otherwise salvation didn't count. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not the gospel message. So he goes on to say, for we are the true circumcision. What, what, what is the true circumcision? What really matters to God? It's the circumcision of the heart. So he goes on to say, we are the true circumcision who worship. This is where it's all about. Who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So love how he starts. Finally, kind of like, hey, if, if, if you hear one thing in this letter, this is what I want to get to. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. That's a, to be in a state, to dwell in a place of gladness, joy, well-being. It's a very rich and deep sense. Not a fleeting happiness, but a, a rich sense, a state of Joy, happiness that springs up, gladness from a state of well-being. And this is that message that Paul said, I've talked to you about it before, and i got plenty more where this is coming from. This matters. And I love that message. That the message of joy matters in the life of Christ. Joy is God's will for our lives now, and even more joy coming. That's what we're going to see him say. And it flows right along. This is not a new message, actually. What does Psalm 1611 say? David de declares, in your presence, God, is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Paul's going to pick that right up and say, joy is essential part, unessential part of the Christian life. If joy isn't present and increasing, we're missing something. And I find that is good news. Because life with God, joy is all over it. Rejoice in the Lord. It just, he just wants that to be one and the same. You're in the Lord, there's joy. Be in that state of well-being, gladness, joy. That that's, that's true religion. That's true relationship with Jesus. And if we're missing that, we're, we're kind of missing the main, a main point. And I love that as the challenge, as the good news of God wants this in my life. This is part of the gospel. This is part of how Jesus wants to transform me from my own strength. To live a life of joy in the Lord is God's will. Now and even more coming, as we'll see. So Paul calls the church to take joy in the Lord. Have joy. Be in that state, this perpetual state of overflowing well-being that has gladness and, and joy in it. And how do we do that? Well, he talks right here, right at the beginning, there's the key. Where he says, rejoice in the Lord. Take joy. Be glad. In the Lord. And so what is that looking like? Paul doesn't keep us waiting too long. 
right there in, the, in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. So that's all connected. We will have joy in the Lord by the power of the Spirit who will enable us, empower us to just glory in Christ Jesus, to just enjoy Christ Jesus, to, to have a relationship with him that wells up into just worship for all that who he is, all the various attributes of God that are present in the second person of the Trinity, in Jesus, where all the fullness of the Godhead dwells, as Colossians says. And the Holy Spirit, this is, this is where Christianity gets very supernatural. Right here it says, we will have joy in the Lord because we can worship God by the Holy Spirit. That's a supernatural reality. God is not a set of doctrines on a page that like, oh, I can believe that. Oh, that makes sense about God. Okay, yes, I'll believe that. And all the you know, emotions are just not existent or not connected. No, not Christianity. <laughs> not covenant relationship with God. We can go back in the Old Testament. I just quoted David. In your presence is fullness of a stoic mental assent that God is real. Nah. We've got to think right. Doctrine matters. The truth matters. We don't want to be just excited about something that's wildly untrue or even a little untrue. But when we find the truth, it's not meant to just be, oh, I, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. Oh, yeah, I, I believe it. In your presence is fullness of joy. This, the, the joy that David had in the Lord made him what? Made him dance in a way where he was, you know, what was, what's that? I'm actually forgetting the term. What's the term? Undignified. Thank you. Undignified. He was so full of joy in the Lord, he, he, for a, a, a good moment, he could care less what everyone else thought about him. Oh, come on, Lord, I want to live in that freedom. So if you think emotions are not connected to Christianity, you're in the wrong place. Fullness of joy is God's will. Joy in the Lord is God's will. But how does that happen? A supernatural thing takes place by the power of the Spirit. You can worship and just glory in Jesus. Where you see Jesus, you see the beauty, the power, the majesty, the grace, the lion, the lamb, all the full spectrum of all that God is. And it brings joy because you're made for it. We're made to worship. And we're all worshiping something. And your joy levels are probably indicators of whether or not you're worshiping the right thing. All right. I think I'm done. No, just kidding. <laughs> So he goes on. We have joy in the Lord by the power of the Spirit who makes us true worshipers that glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. And this is where it gets really interesting to me. I mean, it, actually, it's already very interesting. I like this part also. <laughs> Many of the ways that the world teaches us to be confident in our identity, 
are also worthless towards worshiping Jesus. What does Paul say? I have no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, this is verse 4, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So a lot of those things, you know, in some ways, because we're not living under first century, you know, Jewish mindset, Jewish worldview, they, they, we, we, we get it, but we miss it a little bit. But Paul is essentially making a list that for in his world, in his culture, in his time, he lists just about every category you could that would define a person as wildly successful. He says, it's this, it's this, it's this, and I check every box. So let's, let's step out of first century Judaism for a minute because it's not where we're living, and let's just think about what he's trying to say here. He's trying to just define or give examples of all of the different ways that his culture and in his, his upbringing defines success, where you can have an identity that would make you a confident person around people, because you can talk about your life and you can brag, as he said. If you want to brag, I can brag. Yeah, I've done this. You, you, you know, you want to go to, you know, the Ivy League school, done that. You want to come from the best family, done that. You want to get the right education and training, done that. You want to come from the right type of money, done that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's our world, right? It has to do with who you know, what kind of family do you come from, what kind of education you have, what kind of training, what kind of position, what kind of job, what's in your pocketbook, all these things that the world says. Hey, if you've got this, you can be confident in your identity. You can be confident in your flesh. And so Paul lists all the stuff that has given him genuine reason in his world to feel good about himself, to be confident in the flesh. And what does he do with it? He's had a realization that none of those accomplishments empower his spirit to worship Jesus. None of those accomplishments empower his spirit to worship Jesus. Listen to what he says, verse 7. And I'm going to the New Living Translation. Because in this case, it's, I think it's much better than, than the others. It captures the, the essence of what Paul's saying, I think, better in this case. So what does he say? I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So, he has realized that all of these accomplishments that he's worked his whole life for that have given him an identity that he's confidence in the flesh, 
He can look around at everybody, basically is what he said. I can look around the room and be like, yeah, I got it going more than you. I'm more successful than you are. I've checked every box that my culture has told me to check. I mean, he says that. It's kind of crazy. He's like, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Wow. And you would think that's like a wild arrogance uh, 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 until you get later, right here into verse 7, where he says, I realized they were worthless. Now, we'll hold on to that in a minute because it's not worthless in the ultimate sense. But it, he does say they are worthless in this context, in the context of being able to rejoice in the Lord. They are worthless in the context of empowering me. They are worthless in the context of the Holy Spirit empowering me to worship Jesus. In fact, they've become a hindrance. Because when I put my confidence in them, when I put my confidence in them, I'm not confident, I'm not putting my dependence on and my hope in and my joy in and my identity in my relationship with Jesus. So they become worthless because I've seen how they're at odds. If I put all my confidence in my flesh, in all the accomplishments, accomplishments that I've made, that's where my joy is at. And what does Jesus say? Can't have two masters. Can love one or hate the and hate the other. You can have joy in one or joy in the other. If you put all your worth, that's what Paul specifically says, if you put your worth, your joy, or attempt to find your joy in all that you've accomplished according to the culture around you, you're not going to be able to take joy in the Lord because you already got your value somewhere else. So that's where Paul says, in that sense, I consider them worthless. he goes on to say not only are they worthless but in fact they're almost they, they've become an enemy that I've got to get rid of listen to what he says for Christ's sake I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ so let's read those couple verses together. 7 and 8, NLT, you can see the flow of his thought. Once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For so, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I can gain Christ. So this is where he actually goes on the offensive against his own accomplishments. You see what he's doing there? He realized that if he has a confidence in the flesh, if he's holding on to that as his identity that brings him a confidence, I'm successful because, fill in the blank, he's realized it will rob him from being able to just joyfully have all of his worth in Christ and, and joyfully worship Jesus. So now he goes on the offensive and actively gets rid of everything or he's looking in his life 
to actively get rid of any dependence on anything for joy other than simply knowing Jesus. He's saying, I can't rely on my accomplishments, confidence in the flesh anymore. If I want joy in Jesus, I've got to get rid of all those other things I've been dependent on. For this sake, I have discarded everything else. I counted all as garbage <laughs> so that I can gain Christ. You see what he's doing? He's saying, I, I, I experienced the reality, and this is where he's not, he can come across where it's un, genuinely, I don't think, arrogant. He's saying, I had all that stuff, but if I want to gain Christ, I realize all that stuff was getting in the way. I can genuinely say I had to realize before God it was worthless. Those things in and of themselves do not connect me to Jesus. They do not empower my spirit into a face-to-face -face glory in Jesus, glorying, worshiping of Jesus. So I count them as worthless now in that sense. There's an interesting different translation I just want to highlight a typical one, and the one I normally read out of ESV, where he says in verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That may be more of kind of the uh, traditional verse here that's in our heads. You know, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And I just want to point out that that's, that's, that's not a good translation because that sounds like he's saying I have suffered the loss all this stuff has been taken from me and I've in in the in, in some type of suffering but it's okay because Christ is better Paul does suffer for the Lord he absolutely is aware that to advance the kingdom of God there is a persecution that will take place he makes that abundantly clear throughout his letters in in Philippians 1 26 to 29 makes it very clear, but the word suffering is actually not in the Greek here. And it changes it because it sounds like, oh, because of Christ, he suffered the loss of everything. No, that's not the sense. The, the sense is he's made a choice to get rid of everything because it's garbage compared to knowing Jesus. That's a difference. It's not, oh, I've suffered for Christ and I've lost it all. Uh-uh. The literal translation of garbage is dung, excrement, like dog poop. And so the sense is not, oh my gosh, I've suffered so much, I've lost all my dog poop. That's not what he's saying. So we got to be careful because sometimes Christians overdo the suffering. Like, oh, I'm following Christ now, I've lost everything, I've suffered everything. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have intentionally gotten rid of it all. So like, it's almost like an old English, you know, I've suffered the loss of this. But be careful. It's the, I've made a choice, I've, I've given it up, I've let go of it, I've gotten rid of it, because all that stuff, if I rely on it, that's like dog poop compared to knowing Jesus. I mean, it's a crass word, it's excrement. This is not a little gar garbage, it's not. There's, there's more gentle words, it's excrement. Like, Paul's a little fired up, but he's talking about his own life. He's talking about all of his accomplishments. And he's saying, no, I gave those up on purpose. 
I've let go of those as my confidence because they're garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And that's a much better translation, so write that in your Bibles. But it's true, and it changes it. it, it it's, for me, huge because it shows, and it continues with the whole flow of thought. Paul's saying, this is an active choice on my part to get rid of everything that doesn't increase my joy in worshiping Jesus. And that's what my life's about now. As a child of God, my life is about joy in the Lord, and I have a part to play. If I hold on to all my accomplishments as my joy, I am not going to have the fullness of joy in worshiping Jesus. That's possible. So I make a choice. I tell my mind that stuff's garbage compared to Jesus. It's garbage of the joy level it's going to bring me compared to just knowing Jesus. So I get rid of all that stuff. And that's, that's attractive. <laughs> I, I want to live a life of the fullness of joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy. God wants you to live a life in the fullness of joy. He just wants it to be in the right place. So pursue real joy. That's what this is saying. God's will for your life is fullness of joy in the Lord. And that honors him as the greatest treasure. Because look what Paul's saying. Everything else is excrement compared to the surpassing value of Jesus. Is God glorified in that? Yes. So don't be afraid to say, I want joy. I want true joy. Paul's saying, go after it. It actually honors Jesus as the greatest treasure. That is a glorification of God to say Jesus is more valuable than anything. In fact, all the worldly accomplishments are excrement compared to Jesus. That is a crass way of worshiping and honoring Jesus. So there's an invitation for us to go after joy. And Paul goes on to say, and I do all this in order that, in verse 8, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. That's what it's all about. Why, why Paul's doing all this. He trusts in Christ. It's a righteousness from God. He's not earning it. He's not performing for it. He doesn't have to have it all together. A, a faith in Christ. It's a righteousness from him. And what's it all for? Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And, and this is where he does legitimately say suffering and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. By any means possible. So he is saying what. Ever it takes, and this is where he is legitimately saying, if that means I even have to die for Christ, he's already said it before in Philippians 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain, and he's willing. And if that's where the road takes him to advance the kingdom, he's okay with that. In fact, right here, what he says is, by any means possible, I have got to fully gain Christ. Whatever it takes, I would need to fully gain Christ to know him, his power, and I know that ultimately that's coming in the resurrection. It's joy now, and I know it's even more to come. So whatever I have to do, 
I'm willing to gain Christ in the end. So what is he saying? He's saying, I have found the treasure. And this is a good testimony from a man who's lived a lot of life. In a sense, he's been wildly successful in all the world has to offer. So there's a wisdom here, a reflection. He's an, he's an older man now, and he's looking back on life. And his genuine testimony is, I found the treasure. I've tasted the promised land. I have the greatest joy I've ever known. And it's in knowing Jesus. That's what the soul's made for. Nothing is better. Nothing this world has to offer. No accolade is even close. In fact, it's garbage. Not even prison could take this away, actually. So the circumstances don't even affect this joy. There's nothing better. No higher joy. Everything else is garbage compared to the Holy Spirit connecting me to worship Jesus. To have that relationship with Jesus. So whatever it takes to fully gain Christ, I'm in. That's a man with a clear vision, with an attractive testimony, an incredible freedom that he's living in. That's power. That is power. Wow. He's not afraid of the future. He's found the real joy. He's not dependent on everyone else's opinions of him anymore. And those, that, that, that success that's always fleeting and never good enough. He's like, no, I found the treasure. So whatever it takes, I'm going to keep pursuing it. And that's what he goes on to say here. In a real sober humility, in 12 to 15, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. <laughs> I like it. I can't wait to be like, you know, 65 and be able to talk like that without being an idiot. <laughs> He's like, you better listen to me. And if you don't, I trust that God will show you you're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> hey, some of you in this room have that kind of credibility, so that's cool. But there's a humility in the midst of these, these, these grand statements about the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. There's also a, a sobriety, a sober reality that he's saying, especially when it's talking about the full power of the resurrection, the full power of gaining Christ and knowing Christ in the full reality of whatever that's going to be so that his joy increases even more. He says, I'm not there. And I love it, because that's the true heart of a disciple. No matter how much of God you've encountered, your heart still says there's so much more. And in fact, the more of God you've genuinely encountered, the more you will recognize there's so much more. Instead of, oh yeah, I've arrived, it's wow, I'm just getting started. And that's his confession. I found what I'm looking for. 
so I know there's so much more. That's, that's the paradox. I've found what I'm looking for, and it's made me realize there is so much more. So in Christ, in other words, I have joy now, and it com- you know everything is a loss or garbage compared to knowing Christ and the joy, but I know there's even more to come. So what do I do? I just sit back, chill, wait to die, let God take care of it. That's not what genuine encounter with God will do for you. It will make you more hungry. So what does Paul say? So I press on to make it my own. That The literal picture there is to grab hold of it. So he already has it. But what it's done is it's awakened to hunger in him. So he says, now the whole point of my life, as long as I'm on earth, is I'm going to keep pressing on to continue to grab hold of more of Christ. And then I love the picture. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me own, it's the same verb. It's that because Christ Jesus has grabbed hold of me. So that's a rad picture. It's already ours in Christ. Christ has already grabbed hold of me. He's made me his own. And so now my privilege in genuine relationship with God is I get to press on. I get to make the choice to set aside all those old things that I used to glory in or find success in or put my confidence in. And I get to choose to press towards Christ to grab hold of more of him because he's already grabbed hold of me. I love that picture. He's like, I already got you. What are you going to do about it? And that humility of still being hungry to press on and grab hold of more of Christ is what he finishes here in saying, I I want you Philippians to to imitate me. Again, like, wow, that's a cool place to be in life. And I know some people like that. I was speaking with a mentor this week, and, and he can genuinely say, in humility, and he did, I know how to do this. God's done it in me multiple times, so I want, I want to help you. And there's a confidence. I mean, he's, he's talking about a movement of <laughs> disciple-making movement that leads to city transformation and revival. And, and he, he, in humility, is able to say, I know how to do this because I've seen God do it in me multiple times and I want to share it with you. I mean, that's, that's, is that arrogant? Or is it just like Paul, genuine testimony? On my own strength, I know I couldn't do this, but I know what God has done in me. This is real. And that's why Paul says right here, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those others who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are just set on these earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body that by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself and so this is where Paul finishes and he's saying my testimony 
is not just for me. <laughs> I'm not just bragging. I'm sharing the genuine transformation that has happened in my life where he's, I started the first 30 years of my life putting all my stock in all my accomplishments and all of the worldly ways that I could be successful and check the box that gave me a confidence in who I am. And he says, my genuine testimony is I found Christ and I found that all that stuff's rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. So I now intentionally get rid of it all in the sense of I let go of it as what I'm glorying in. I let go of it as my definition of success. I let go of it as what's giving me an identity to be confident because if I do, it's going to keep me from worshiping Jesus. So I get rid of it all. It's like garbage compared to what the Holy Spirit does just to connect me to worship of Jesus. He says, so imitate me. Be like me, he says. Follow the examples of others in your church, he says, that, that are following my example. This is what it's about. Have joy in God. You can have joy in God by continuing to pursue and press on this sim simple message of just knowing Jesus, wanting to have your soul satisfied in worshiping him for who he is and having nothing else as your source of treasure. And he says what, what gives him his ultimate confidence and hope is that we're already citizens in heaven. We've already been grabbed hold of by Christ. He's already made us his own. And so I've got joy now, but more joy is coming because we're already citizens of heaven in Christ. And he's coming back and he's going to transform it all. The power of the resurrection that was in him is going to be in us. He's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body so we can see him face to face. And it's just more joy. It's coming. He says, so press on. Keep pressing on just in the simplicity of knowing Jesus. I want to close with just a worship song where we just make this our prayer. Just to cry out to God that we want to know him more. So if the band could come up, if my wife could come up and just say a prayer, blessing on this. This to me gets to the heart of now as a Christian, this is what life is all about. To boil it down is a simple heart's cry. To press on, to keep knowing Jesus more. To where in a way we say, that's all I need. All I want, all I need is to just worship Jesus. To know him in a way. To see him. To encounter him. That it fills me with joy. To where I don't even care about any of those other things. Now that's not to say that God doesn't use them. And let's be clear on that. Because it would be a lie for Paul to say that all these things that he mentions, God doesn't use as part of him as a vessel to advance God's kingdom. Those things are on every page of his writings. All that he has, his knowledge of all these things about the, the, the life of, of Christ in the Old Testament and how he is the Hebrew of Hebrews and all of those things, they're on every page that he writes. But all those successes, if you will, have been laid at the feet of Jesus. They've been given back to him, not as his source of identity, not as his source of joy, but to be used as a tool in the hands of the Lord. And so we can do the same thing. Whatever God calls us to, 
in those areas of what the world might say, oh, that's a success, whether it's your education or your training or family background or, or, the, or financial blessing or the business that you have or the position that you have, all of that can be used and is used by God to advance his kingdom. But first, as Paul models, it's I'm getting rid of it as my source of joy that replaces God. First and foremost, I want to be able to just have nothing but worshiping Jesus and have a fullness of joy. And then I'm at a good place to let God use all those other things that he's done in and through my life to advance his kingdom. But they're not my treasure. They're not my source of joy. So let's cry out to God. Let's make this this ongoing, and I know many of you are already, this is your life, so it's just, as Paul said, there's always more, though. The, 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 there's always more, though, just to keep pressing on with that hunger. More Jesus. If we've encountered him, it shouldn't make us satisfied. It should satisfy our soul and then say, now I found what I'm looking for, I need more. So let's, let's pray and let's just worship along this lines of crying out. May this not just be today's cry, but Lord, would you continue to seal it in our hearts that this is our heart's cry. This is our life's cry. So let's pray and worship. You want to share a word and then pray? Um, I can pray it. Let's pray it, yeah. God, we just thank you for your word. I'm going to read um, Philippians 3, verse 10 in my favorite, the Passion Translation. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. God, we just pray that. We just thank you for that right now. We thank you for that. We continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. God, we thank you that you are tangible and you are real, that you are not about mental assent and a belief system that is not grounded in tangible experience of our heart communing with you, of our lives being transformed by you, of our mind, body, and spirit encountering you. And so, God, I just um, just ask for your just manifest presence right now in everyone to come and fill, to come and show us your wonders, the wonders of Jesus more fully that we would experience you more and more. Eternal life is knowing you, Jesus. Let us know you more. You, are, you say that you are knocking. You are knocking in Revelation and to let you in. And so, God, we let you in. We welcome you. We want to feast with you. Thank you, Jesus. Have your way. Dance a new dance like day.